Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can do your, your your job now, Robert. Oh! Well, I did my job, Sophie. <laughs> I introduced the podcast. How are we feeling? Everybody good? We all have we all have newly hot bevs. We're doing great. Yeah, we got a hot bev, uh, and we've got a hot bud, Jeff May. Jeff, I got a bone to pick with you. Yeah, what what is that bone? Well, Jeff. At the end of last episode, I said, as I was asking you to introduce your pluggables, where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from? And then I had to say Cotton Eye Jeff, which made me sad because if your name had just been Joe, you see what I'm saying here, Jeff? Yeah, that, my parents that would, that would, were would have worked a lot better. enough to do that, yeah. but they just missed Joseph. It's well, like the one white guy name that nobody in my family has. Let them know they fucked up my joke. Mm. I'm sorry. Honestly, like that's on my dad. Yeah, well, uh, I'm I'm livid now. Jeff, what I'm not livid at is you for being here to continue talking about Nikolai Ceausescu with me. How are you, you know, feeling? There's no place I'd rather be than right here talking about tyrannical despots. Wow, that's a lie, but it's a nice lie. Um... A, a sweet lie, Jeff. Thank you for thank you for that for that friendly lie. We used to call those white lies, but now I'm going to call them Jeff May lies. I mean, the name Jeff May is pretty synonymous with the word white, so I feel like you got that. <laughs> it's, it, it does work either way. Um, Jeffrey May of the Westchester Mays, of course. Uh, we got to find more uses for you to do your 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 frumpy American Northeast accent, Jeff. That was perfect. Um, it maybe really I'll do a Vanderbilt. Was. You should be yeah, proud. I gotta I gotta do a Vanderbilt. But before we do a Vanderbilt, let's talk about a guy who probably had an accent like the only the only Romanian accent that I know how to do is a Dracula accent, and I do feel like that would be offensive. Although, Jeff, nope. we are about to start by talking about how uh, Ceausescu used Dracula um, and other heroes from Romania's past 
um, in order yeah. to, uh, to to yeah. make the case as to why he and, I, and I'm going to quote here from a, a, a an article on the cult of Ceausescu by the New York Times. In Tirgoviste's History Museum, there is a new ex exhibition of Romanian heroes. An enormous portrait of Ceausescu gazes down on the busts of Romanian rulers. Among the venerated is Vlad Dracula, the 15th century prince whose cruelties gave rise to the Dracula vampire, vampire legend. Flanking the entranceway are huge bronze busts of Decibel, the Dacian king, and Trajan, the Roman emperor who defeated Decibel at a great cost in the 2nd century. Could it be that Ceausescu is casting himself not only as a Romanian emperor, but as a Roman one as well? After all, he carried a jeweled royal mace at his 1974 induction as president. Roman emperor, the guide snorted. It's a little late to do jeweled mace. You think so, 74? You think that's late for a jeweled mace? Yeah. I, yeah, 1974. Uh, like, if my dad was alive for it, I feel like you shouldn't have, like, jeweled You shouldn't have a jeweled rate. mace. But I do you like are... the idea of, like, ah, I want to rehabilitate your legacy. Yeah, I, I, we're talking about Ceausescu here as we shit on the idea of having a jeweled mace at your coronation. But the British royal family's over there sweating in a corner being like, don't bring us up. Don't bring us up. We got a fucking room full of jeweled maces. Don't yeah. let anybody yeah. talk. They're like, you don't even want to know where we got these jewels. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, it's, it's very funny. Um, there's a line in that article where the guy is like, no, he doesn't think he's a Roman emperor. He thinks he's a God. Uh, and the New York times reporters like, what do you mean? And the guy is like in the newspapers, they've printed poems about Ceausescu describing him as a demigod. Yeah. I mean, that's um, not too far off from what Roman emperors thought. So that works. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's good. So, I mean, you could say, yeah, he's just, he's honoring his, his cultural heritage. Um, all of our cultural heritage. As an Italian, um, I understand the need to believe that some guy who was born into a job is, is literally divine. It's easier Mario. than thinking. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you. Um, the, 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 the God of my people. So, why is Mario Italian? What is it? What is it about? What is it? What, what what is it about Japanese game designers that made him think like, well, you got a plumber. What what what's the natural natural ethnicity for a plumber who fights well, mushroom people? Wasn't he Italian? Wasn't he the superintendent of of the Nintendo of America? Like he was like his character was created to basically. He was he was like some guy that they actually oh, was he? knew. And oh, so they designed him that way. Oh, okay. Well, that that is less magical than I had hoped it was. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, it's the okay. Japanese and the Italians, uh, deep rooted history all the way back to roughly 1945. <laughs> yeah. uh, try not to go too deep into that constant, history. Constant and what deep would interactions all of them between think the about two. This new Chris Pratt playing Mario situation. That's my question. When he I had a real voice, I was like, get the shit out of here. If you're not being an offensive Italian stereotype, you're not my Mario. Yeah, that or that Bob is Hoskins. what I. Uh, Bob, Bob Hoskins played an incredible Mario. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like, you know, who's a great Mario? That Cockney actor. Yeah. <laughs> so we're back talking about Romania um, in, and kind of occasionally Italy. Um, but yeah, so Ceausescu, when we kind of leave left off, he's 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 gotten himself into power. He's establishing his cult of personality, and he's 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 doing some some terrible stuff like banning abortion, um, and he's starting to do some dumb stuff like trying to turn Romania into the television making capital of Europe. Um, but broadly speaking, things are going okay. And one of the th reasons things are going okay is because he does not have enough money yet to realize all of his visions of turning the entire country into a giant factory. And in order to get that kind of money, 
Ceausescu knows he's going to need some loans. Now, the Soviet Union does not... <laughs> one of the funny things about this is for all of the mismanagement the USSR was guilty of, they're totally right here, where they're like, no, nah, man, just... Just keep growing food. Making TVs probably isn't going to work out for Romania, and it doesn't. Um, so they're not going to give Romania the resources that Ceausescu thinks they need in order to become this manufacturing capital of Europe. But you know who does have a lot of money and who's really willing to use it on stupid shit? The United States of America. Now, that's that's our thing. That is our thing. We will put a lot of money into some very dumb shit because we have infinity dollars. Now, the problem with this is that the United States is the heart, the beating heart of global capitalism. And Romania is, in theory, a Stalinist state, right? A state that's based on at least quasi-Stalinist policies. So the fact that Ceausescu decides to get in bed with the U.S. seems like a bad idea, like something that po couldn't possibly work. It's actually going to be one of the most successful things that he does. But the first stage of his plot to get in bed with Lady Liberty comes courtesy of Lady Liberty's pimp at the time, a fellow that you might have heard about, a friend of the pod, Richard Milhouse Nixon. Now, we love him. We love old Tricky Dick. Ceausescu actually is going to get along very well with, with, with old Dick Nixon. Now, 1967, which is when they meet, is kind of an awkward time for, for for Richard Nixon. He had finished being vice president quite a while ago. And he's sort of in the the the, the term that politic political writers would use at the time is that he's in like the wilderness right now, right? Where he's kind of he doesn't have this like he doesn't have like a super prominent role, but he's trying to get back into politics, right? He's trying to, you know, he wants to become president. Um he's had a couple of scandals. He's in this kind of very messy place. Um and he's trying to, he knows that he wants to like kind of recapture some of his glory days in order to put himself back in the political limelight so that he can run and and win the, uh, the, the Republican nod for president. Now, one of the biggest moments from his career previously to this had been this very highly publicized kitchen table debate that he'd had with Nikita Khrushchev. So Khrushchev comes to power after Stalin. There's kind of this thawing of a, a little bit in the Cold War. Nixon has what most people would consider to be pretty unimpeachable anti-communist cold warrior credentials. So oh, he referring to Richard Nixon as anything unimpeachable is also very <laughs> it is it is very and, and I yeah perhaps an ironic term to use for him. Um but he uh he he so he meets up with Khrushchev and they have this like very famous debate that is it's one of these things that kind of turns him makes him look like a statesman. And so as he's kind of in this awkward position he's like well what if I do that again? So he he gets in he gets in a fucking plane, charters a flight and he's, he starts traveling through the USSR. He goes to Moscow and he tries to set up another debate with Khrushchev. But the Soviets are like, well, that worked out for us. But now the Cold War is like getting gnarlier again. And we really, it doesn't benefit us at all to help Richard Nixon become the Republican presidential candidate. So no, we're not going to do this. Um, and he kind of, Dick kind of awkwardly mopes around Eastern Europe until he finds a communist leader who would be absolutely thrilled to be his buddy. And that communist leader is Nicky Ceausescu. Now, the first meeting between the two men is mainly a photo op for Nixon, but it helps to soften his image as this hardline cold warrior, and it makes him look more like a statesman, right? That's what Dick wants to look like, a serious politician who's, yeah. And the big, the big thing about that is obviously that he has built up a very good photo opportunity life. 
Oh, like yeah. Nixon for all of the all of the bumbling that that man has done throughout his entire career. I'm not giving up checkers and mm-hmm. all this stuff. Like he went to China. Like he, yeah, he, yeah. And this is kind of the start of that, right? Because I mean, you could say Khrushchev was kind of the start of that. But it's interesting as much of like this anti-Soviet hardliner as he has a reputation for being. A lot of his career gets made by hanging out with communists. Um, so that's kind of cool. Um, at least it's, well, no, it's actually going to be disastrous for a lot of people. Um, but it, it's, it's, uh, we'll call it a mixed bag. Um, so it works out really well though for Nixon. It makes him look, you know, like a statesman and it's going to work out really well for Ceausescu because it's, it's going to give him a connection to the man who's about to be the president of the United States. And Richard Nixon, you wouldn't call him a great friend, but he does remember when people are useful to him, right? Um, there's a, I, I don't know, loyalty is the wrong word, but he is going to have like a soft spot for Ceausescu after this. And he's going to help out uh, the dictator of Romania in whatever way that he can. Um, now, this does a couple of things for Ceausescu besides just sort of making him look like Oh, maybe this is maybe this this guy's actually not as much of a hardline communist as we've been led to believe. The first thing it does outside of that is it it's it's him throwing a middle finger at Moscow, right? The Soviets mm-hmm. don't want him to do this. And one of the other things that's happening in this period, this is when you have that big Sino-Soviet split. So there's literally like soldiers killing each other, Chinese and and, and Soviet soldiers killing each other on like the borders of both countries, right? This is a really nasty time and this conflict is escalating. And the Soviet Union basically asks Ceausescu to stand with them against the People's Republic of China. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm not going to actually take a side in this Sino-Soviet split in the way that you want me to. Um, So by doing that and by having Nixon over, he's kind of provided a bridge for the Americans where they're like, well, we actually would really like to be able to communicate and and talk and, and settle things directly with China. And we've had to do that kind of through the Soviet Union prior to this. And now there's this guy, Ceausescu, who the Chinese, like Mao likes Ceausescu because Ceausescu wouldn't throw down against him with the USSR. Um, and he's already had Nixon over. So maybe we can work with this guy. Maybe this guy is going to be our buddy and help us like smooth out some shit. Um so this is a, you know, this is a bold mm-hmm. move. It's it's risky, but you have to say, this is actually, he's going to do a lot of stupid things. Most of the things Ceausescu does are very dumb. This is good foreign policy. He's actually playing very intelligently all these kind of powers off each other for his own benefit. Yeah. He's as pretty we refer good to at it this. As, it's intrigue. Yeah, he it's a, intrigue. He's surprisingly adept at intrigue. Yeah, and it's one of those things, if he had never been running the country, if he'd just been like Romania's head of, of foreign you know, policy or something, he might have actually been pretty good at his job. Um, the problem is that no one actually is ever good at the job that he has, which is like guy in charge of an entire country down to the lives of individual people in it. But he's pretty good at the foreign policy shit. And he's going to double down on this foreign policy success in August of 1968, when events in Czechoslovakia provide him with a golden opportunity. So the Czechs elect a new first secretary. And Czechoslovakia is a communist state. They elect a new first secretary of their party, a guy named Alexander Dubček. And Dubček is a communist, but he is a reformer, right? 
Um, he's and he's very popular in the West because while he's he's still a commie, he's this kind of communist who's got more democratic attitudes about how things ought to work. And he starts pushing a raft of reforms that are much more extensive than the ones Ceausescu had offered his own people. Most crucially, he's like, maybe we'll have elections again. And hey, maybe we'll even let parties run that aren't communist parties. Now, the Soviet Union, who has just sent tanks not all that long ago into Hungary over, uh, you know, um, an uprising, they're not going to like this. Uh, this is not acceptable to them. And Moscow responds by invading Czechoslovakia and arresting Dubček. The force they send is made up of the five central Warsaw Pact nations. Um, the two countries that do not participate in this invasion are Romania and Yugoslavia, because they're seen as unreliable. Um, and they are, in fact, unreliable for the Soviets. I love that, I love that we're in, like, obviously Czechoslovakia and Yugoslavia, yeah. and we're like, oh man, these things don't even exist anymore. Like, it's <laughs> yeah. so funny, it's like we're talking yeah, you about the Czech ghosts. Republic. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but yeah, I mean, we are, you got Romania still, you know, you got a Czech Republic, um, but um, yeah, it is, it is, we are talking about like these ghostly nations. It's interesting too, because like, if you go around, if you travel through a lot of Eastern Europe, um, especially if you travel through like the Balkans, it's obviously, it's not uniform, but you will run into a lot of people, particularly older people who are like, um, who miss when Tito was around and who miss the days of Yugoslavia, which is not hard to see why when you think about how ugly things got as soon as Yugoslavia broke apart. And you can find people, particularly in Russia, who miss the USSR. You do not run into a lot of Romanians who miss uh, Ceausescu. <laughs> no, no, yeah. no, 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 that's, that's correct. Um, not as common, not nearly as common. Not to say that, obviously, I'm not trying to like whitewash either the Soviet Union or Yugoslavia, but you 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 do run into people who are like ah you know for a lot of reasons there were there were things that I preferred back then that does not tend to happen nearly so often with Ceausescu in Romania, um, but what he is pretty good at is this right here. So the Soviets invade uh, Czechoslovakia, they arrest this guy Dubček, um, and they you know put an end to this whole we're going to try opening shit up a little bit here, and. Nikolai is in a dangerous position. He does not have Soviet soldiers in his country, but obviously Romania is not going to win a war with the Soviet Union, right? If the USSR wants to come in and force him out, they can do it. And he's just seen they're willing to do that to the Czechs. Um, so he's not going to back down over this, though. Um, he calculates kind of accurately that the USSR, they've just blown a lot of political capital and taken a risk themselves in occupying Czechoslovakia. They're not going to want to fuck with Romania right now, right? Because they're kind of dealing with this shitstorm already. So while they're occupying the country, he delivers a speech on August 21st, 1968, in front of 100,000 people in Republic Square in Bucharest. And he's, he's it's called the balcony speech. He's standing on this balcony of this... Uh, um, like government building, and he uh, addresses this crowd and he tells them that the Romanian Communist Party is expressing full solidarity with the Czech people. He calls Soviet actions a danger to the peace of Europe and he condemns them for forcing their version of socialism on another socialist state. One of the things he's like is that like, as socialist states, we should have the freedom to exist whatever way we want and to like experiment with policies and the Soviet Union shouldn't be cracking down on that stuff, which is objectively good, right? Like what he he's actually taking, this is a principled stance and it's a risky one for him. Now he's not taking it 
because he's morally opposed to what the USSR is doing so much as he's taking it, because this is going to reinforce his popularity with the Americans and the West, right? And it is outrageous. It is popular. You have to say it's very popular in Romania. This is seen as like the high point of his regime. And it gives a lot of people reason to be like, oh, you know, this guy actually, you know, uh, maybe maybe we, we lucked out in terms of, you know, having this dude in charge of the country. He's willing to stand up to the Soviets. You know, he's taking yeah. a taking this pro st- stance in favor of liberty from the from the USSR eh, maybe maybe we're doing all right I'm just gonna the put Americans, this out there no notes yeah yeah no He's notes on it. this specific thing yeah and we can and and with that we can put a lid on him that's it that's <laughs> yep yep that's the end of it go rides off into the sunset um like Kojak so um he's he's done this thing and these kind of two moves, he's made this unique place for himself in the world of diplomacy. And shortly after this, or right around this time, Nixon wins election. Yeah, 68, Nixon wins election, and he takes office. Um, and so now his buddy Richard is running the United States, and he's just given himself a really good reason to be trusted by the West. So he starts saying, hey, I would like to have most favored nation trading status, right, with the U.S., which is a big deal economically. There's a whole bunch of benefits to that. And no communist country had ever been offered that. Um, And the U.S. is like, well, fuck, why shouldn't we do this, right? This guy actually seems like he's... You know, and obviously we don't care that he's he's a, he is a dictator who's purged his enemies. He's made abortion illegal. He's doing all of these things that are like fucked up in his own country. But obviously we've never given a shit about that. What we care about is that he's he's benefiting U.S. foreign policy right now. So we're going to stand up and and start offering him some shit. Um, and one of the things that means is that like we do, Romania does eventually get most favored nation trading status. But the other thing it means is that Tricky Dick is is going to start talking to American business leaders and American banks and being like, yeah, you can trust Ceausescu, you know, invest in his country, give him some loans. It's going to, it's going to work out very well. He's a trustworthy man. Yeah. As he's, as he is pounding, uh, his entire body weight in vodka on a daily basis and threatening Henry Kissinger. He is, he is letting people, yeah, put your money in Romania. It's going to work out really well. Long-term good. Goodbye. Who among us would not, Mm-hmm. threaten henry kissinger if given the opportunity yeah um i mean we probably shouldn't go much further down that road uh <laughs> because i think he still has a secret service detail so um this is also very popular among the romanian people and Catalin gruya who's a romanian journalist describes people's feelings this way Romanians lived better, and they were proud of their president. Frustrated by history, they saw in Ceausescu one of their own, who was on equal foot standing with the world's bigger players. When he condemned the military intervention in Czechoslovakia, Romanian enthusiasm was spontaneous. This act of defiance against Moscow brought him the respect of the entire world. And Silviu Brucan, another Romanian writer, adds this. Ceausescu was a tyrant when it came to politics, an economic disaster, but in his foreign policy he had a spark of genius. Although uneducated, he was smart, a wily, peasant sort of smart. And, uh, you know, it is the kind of, one thing that's interesting is Ceausescu is this little guy. He doesn't have, he never has anyone backing him up earlier in his career. He's entirely on his own. And so he's really good at 
kind of running in between the feet of these more powerful figures in Romanian politics. The Remora, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's what he's doing. Like, you can see why his background makes him good at this specific job. Because Romania is in this really awkward position geographically, and it's in this awkward political position between China and the USSR and the US. And he is he is very good at, he's as good at this as he was good at navigating a similar it, situation in the Communist like, Party. What do you yeah. do when you're a rock between three hard places? Mm-hmm. Like, like, how yeah. do you like? Not when you're for like, nothing, like w- yeah, when you're a tomato between three rocks. Yeah. Pro- <laughs> yeah. Props to him for doing, I guess, as far as foreign policy is concerned, as good as you can do in this the, the, situation. Yeah. If, from a foreign policy standpoint, he's kind of your best case scenario as a leader in Romania yeah. at this point. Now, from an everything else standpoint, <laughs> that's I what we're about not, to talk about. So, not the optimal case scenario. Unfortunately, it is not enough to be good at foreign policy. And for his first half decade and so in power, he seems to be okay at some of the other stuff. We've just talked, he does some ugly shit, but like the Communist Party under him in the first five or so years in power also does the sort of shit communists are supposed to do. Um, they put a huge amount of money into this building program to ensure everyone in the country has a private ha- residence, which is nice and a, 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 a good policy for keeping people happy, right? Um, he also invests funds in education. And again, it's it's promoting books that you know he supports, including these like propaganda books about Dracula and shit. But it's still like better than, I guess, doing nothing at all. Um, and then in 1971, Ceausescu goes on tour. And as part of his plan to irritate the USSR, he visits China, North Korea, North Vietnam, and Mongolia. Now, China's going to be the big visit, right? Because he has just kind of backed, uh, or at least refused to, like, side with the USSR against China. And Mao is very grateful for this. So he gets this huge welcoming, these massive crowds and marches. You know, China's... And then he played for three hours straight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ma- <laughs> yeah, he does all of, all, all of the big hits. He's doing... um um. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I don't know where to take this joke, Jeff. But Mao shows him a very good time. And obviously, China, massive, powerful country. So coming from Romania, Mao is able to show off these huge factories, these massive crowds of soldiers and workers marching in unison. And he and Elena, Ceausescu and Elena, look at all this and they start to get really jealous because they're like, well, shit, this is like a first class world power. And, you know we're us and I would really like it if we could be a little bit more like Mao. Um, one of the things that he and Elena do is they go to see this play put on by Mao's fourth wife, Jean Quing. Uh, and they see for the first time what this like real cult of personality looks like because um, Mao's fourth wife and Mao both have very effective cults of personality, massive and expansive, huge numbers of people of all these books about them and paintings and portraits everywhere um he we he i made the joke the three hour he performed for three hours talking about being on tour yeah i mean it's kind of it's actually kind of the opposite of that because ceausescu is the and and elena like nikolai and elena are the audience and mao is putting on a show for all of them right he's got these huge crowds of soldiers and of workers like marching in unison he's got all of these like they go see these beautiful elaborate plays he takes them to see these factories and nikolai is just first off he's blown away by all of this but he's also 
he's kind of like jealous, right? Because China is on its way to becoming kind of this first class world power. And Romania is a pretty small country by comparison. Um, so he's he falls in love both with this idea of power that Mao is able to show, but also he becomes aware of this huge cult of personality around Mao and around Mao's fourth wife, where they've got all of these books about them, all of these plays that are both like dedicated to them and dedicated to like kind of referencing them. And they've got, you know, portraits up everywhere. And he, he sees, number one, wow, this is really what you can do when you get off your ass and you put together a first-class cult of personality. But the other thing he sees is that, like, well, shit, Romania could maybe be the kind of power that China is if only I exercised power the same way that Mao did, right? Because um, Mao is a very centralized ruler. He's got total, pretty total control. At least he, he is. Yeah, we've he heard of him. Yeah, we've heard of Mao, right? I would like um, to add, every time you say cult of personality, I immediately want to break into the living color riff. Oh, see, I was going to. I was, I was thinking of, isn't that a, what is it, Duran Duran song? Living color. Wait, the TV show? That's in with David Allen Color. Greer. Oh, excellent! So I saw David Allen Greer was the band recently. fronted by mm-hmm. Corey Glover, and In Living Color was the comedy show fronted by Keenan Ivory Wayans. Mm. And uh, and and uh, and uh, 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 David Allen Greer. David Allen Greer was there. Yeah, mm-hmm. although it was really it was a Wayans there. joint. It was, and 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 didn't that how Jim Carrey broke out too? Jim Carrey for, uh, did that until up until the end, really. I mean, mm-hmm. he stuck yeah, around. There you, go. there you go. Jim Carrey refer- relevant because he is obviously the chairman Mao of comedy. You could say that, you know, there's a lot of similarities between uh, the, the cultural revolution and that year that we got Ace Ventura and The Mask. And yeah. uh, there was at least one other Jim Carrey movie that year. Was that 95 so, well, or something well, like Ace that? Ace Ventura was 1994, I believe. And then mm-hmm. The Mask was 1995. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you had Dumb and Dumber around the Some, same somewhere time in there too. Much um, like Mao declaring war on the sparrows. I don't. Well, know. Well, I mean, I if you know. think about there's it, there's a lot of similarities between when them all. when mm-hmm. um, when he was showing up, he was saying, "Let me show you something," and that's a very Fire Marshal Bill line right there. So mm-hmm. 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 it all does wow. tie together. A lot of lot of similarities between between the two men. Um, yeah. But you know who won't make inappropriate references to tragedies from Jim Carrey's life? I'm going to guess that it's these amazing sponsors that we have coming up. It is these amazing sponsors because they are all big fans of Jim Carrey. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. 
With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ah, we're back. I'm feeling good. Uh, I, I'm I'm feeling like maybe watching The Mask tonight. That seems like one of the Jim Carrey movies that didn't have anything problematic in it, right? It's The Mask is pretty good. He also saved them a lot of money in CGI by being able to do a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Interestingly enough, that is one of four movies that were produced by Dark Horse Comics in 1995-ish. So you had a two-year span where we had four movies. You had The Mask, you had Tank Girl, you had Time Cop, and Barbed Wire. Oh, I didn't realize that was a... Oh, man, the Tank Girl movie, also pretty good. Um, it's, definitely, it's interesting. It gave us Naomi Watts. better than... Yeah. I'm going to say it. Tank Girl, better than The Mask. And Mao, a better dictator than Ceausescu. But now he's jealous, right? He's jealous at seeing this Jim Carrey-like power More like that Mao, Mao has. More like jealous. Wow. Um, <laughs> good work, Jeff. Thank you, um, professional comedian. So he, he decides that like, the only thing holding Romania back from being China is that there's still all this red tape, right? It takes too long to do things. There's too many other people <laughs> who aren't Nikolai Ceausescu in power. If red I can tape, just get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, of communism, right? Because it's red. Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously, there's a lot of reasons why Romania was never going to be the kind of power China is, including look at the two of them on a map. Just look at the size of both countries. <laughs> yeah. We're not saying like, I wouldn't show that for all of the tea in Romania. Yeah, exactly. Um, the other reason is that um, Mao, a lot of problems with Chairman Mao, pretty canny fellow. Uh, and Nikolai Ceausescu has his kinds of canniness, but they are more limited than Mao. So he is not going to be good at this. But I'm going to read a quote from Nicholas Holman describing what happens next. To achieve his aims, the population would have to be subjected to his control, most easily achieved if they were contained in large urban centers. The economic consequences of such a policy was an all-out drive to create a heavy industrial base in Romania and a determination to make Romania self-sufficient through the elimination of its foreign debt. A policy of systemization was also proposed in which the rural population was to be moved to larger urban centers, but this was later abandoned. Initially, the development strategy was very successful, as vast pools of underutilized labor and agriculture was 
mobilized for industry, with the proportion of the non-agricultural labor, labor force increasing from 30.3% in 1956 to 63.5% in 1977. However, this growth was not sustainable, being based on structural shifts, and soon the labor force was faced with inadequate employment and income opportunities, with a reduced supply of food and other consumer goods. However, Ceausescu's ideological inflexibility allowed for no changes in his policy, and the regime resorted to coercion to achieve the production targets which enterprise managers were then forced to fabricate. The effects of this flawed system soon became apparent as the benefits from the labor force shift were reduced. Economic growth fell from 10% in the early 1970s to 3% in 1980, with food and other consumer goods becoming very short in supply. The so roaring 80s, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, he, he basically is like, Everybody get out of the country. Everyone has to move to the city so that you can work in these factories. And we're just going to start this slow process of bulldozing every single rural community in Romania. Um, yeah, it's like, he did, he did he think he could build food? Yeah, I mean, he, he doesn't want to make food. Like, food is not sexy, right? Food is a very reasonable thing to want to have um, and actually not a bad thing to base your economy around making because people are always going to need food, but you're never going to be a world power just making a decent amount of food as like a country the size of Romania, right? You become a world power by industrializing. So you can have this massive industrial base, so you can have a big military, so you can have all of these things that he sees the USSR and the Soviets and the Americans having. Um, and so this is going to be a fucking, this is kind of Romania's version of the Great Leap Forward. And like the Great Leap Forward, it does not work very well. And he might have known that if he'd actually gotten an accurate look at what was going on in China. Yeah, the he asked his wife is, to do that. And she was like, <laughs> yeah, she, and she checked in with Mao's wife and said, everything's good. Yeah, it's going great. Things are going the, great. Uh, the we backyard furnaces worked wonderfully. Yeah, um, we've been leaping forward greatly. Yeah. And this is part of the problem is that like his attitude about what works in Mao's China comes from Mao. And you may recognize Chairman Mao, not the most reliable source on Chairman Mao. <laughs> yeah. So Nikki's friendship with Nixon, who was also buddies with Mao, they all get along. Like legitimately, people will say Nixon and Ceausescu were friendly with each other. Like they enjoyed one another's company. Um, so that's sweet, Jeff. It's always nice to hear about friends. Hey, you know, it's uh, funny when you see that people are friends with other people that you know, and you're like, yeah. oh, yeah, I didn't know you guys were friends. Oh, you like Mao? I know Mao. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was in Glee Club with Mao. Yeah. <laughs> Great guy. Um, so Nikolai's friendship with Nixon had earned Romania or had earned Romania an invite to the World Bank and the IMF. Um, and then again, the only communist nation at this point, at least, who gets invited to the World Bank and the IMF. The U.S. considering Nikki a good communist, and this is the term that people in Nixon's White House will say for him, and eventually I think in Reagan's White House too, people are calling him, he's the good communist, right? He's the nice one. Um, they encourage banks to lend money to Romania. And so Nikki uses all of this cash he's getting from the West to start building these massive, absolutely titanic factories, much larger than they need to be, and much larger than there's any kind of demand for, right? Yeah, um, yeah this is the field of dreams of, yeah. of industrializing yeah. the Soviet bloc, yeah. If you build it, everyone will want a Romanian television. Yeah. Um, but there are problems with this. One of them is that Romanian steel, because they're also trying to make like cars and shit. Romanian steel is of terrible quality, right? This is 
I'm not a metallurgist, but certain areas make good steel and certain areas do not make good steel yeah. unless you know how it's to like, like yeah, remove impurities and shit. The the, yeah. the 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 Iberian Peninsula and Pittsburgh. Yeah, exactly. Generally speaking, those hey, are the two the two main spots are like again, Seville and yeah. Pittsburgh. And I'm not again, not a metallurgist, but perhaps Romania would have done a better job of removing impurities from their steel if they'd had chemists who weren't Elena Ceausescu. <laughs> <laughs> it, might, it. it might have helped um there's also massive corruption and corner cutting which means none of their products are actually very safe to use romanian televisions were known to be as likely to burn your house down as let you watch three's company and so once they start producing this stuff european countries get a look at these things and are like well these will kill people you can't put these in houses like it's a very soviet idea of like yeah. asshole what some houses burn down is fine but Oh, Let me tell you what Dracula TV. would say. Dracula yeah. would say, sometimes you get impaled, sometimes impaled gets you, yeah. you know? Yeah, so just just take it from nationally rehabilitated hero, <laughs> Dracula. Vlad the Impaler. <laughs> That's a fun so, time and nickname to have for somebody that you're trying to rehab. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's funny. He is objectively a better person than a lot of the uh, American folk heroes I was raised to hear about, like Kit Carson, where it's like, well, at least Dracula was usually doing it in self-defense. Um, I don't know. Uh, you know what? I'll say it right now. Dracula, better person than Kit Carson. That's uh, that's it's my the take for the day. Pathfinder, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And genocide finder. <laughs> Oh, okay. So now we're just um, gonna call every American we see that does a slight genocide a genocide. Yeah, a light, a light genocide. Yeah. So uh, a dabbler, if you will. Yeah, yeah. He was he was a genocide uh, theoretician. So matters were made worse by the fact that all of this industrial production used up more fuel than even. And again, Romania, like the Nazis, are very, very like like part of why they wanted Romania on their side is that like. Romania has a shitload of oil, right? That's why the Germans wanted to conquer Romania, like, during World War I, is Romania has a shitload of oil. One of the things that Romania could be, other than a breadbasket, is a massive oil-producing nation, which, again, everything is set up for Romania to have been doing quite well in this yeah, period. They could but, be the, the Dubai yeah, of, yeah. of uh, and Ceausescu could have made, made very well for himself, but because he wants to industrialize, this takes a shitload of fuel. And so Romania, one of the most oil-rich nations on Earth, becomes a net importer of petroleum. Like, they oh, are having God, to buy fuel. <laughs> guys, what are you doing? They are buying oil from Iran because he's using up all of their fuel trying to make fucking televisions. Oh, um, God. Yeah, it's like if the Saudi king embarked on a building program that forced them to buy oil from Texas, where it's like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, You're like, in you, what world? You shouldn't need to do this. Yeah. This should have been a sign that something was awry. You had no right. Um, and as the building program churned ever onwards, Romania's debts stacked up. Ceausescu cut rations over and over again, and caps were put on how warm buildings could be during the winter. It was like if it was above 16 degrees Fahrenheit, I think you had to, you, I think, yeah, that was the equivalent. You, you weren't allowed to use heating at all, which is like, that's quite cold. Um, that's uh, it, below freezing. Yeah. And it becomes increasingly common for the old and sick to freeze to death in winter. Again, in a country with some of the largest oil reserves in Europe. Um, should not have been a problem they were dealing with. 
Now, this was, of course, very stressful for Nicky, and he opted to blow off steam in one of the most time-honored traditions of European rulers, shooting hundreds and hundreds of animals. Now, Romania is a country with a long sporting tradition, um, and as a result, brown bears had been prized hunts of the Romanian nobility for, I mean, presumably for thousands of years. Um, and as a result, the whole country of Romania had less than 900 brown bears when the monarchy fell, right? Um, by the time Ceausescu took power, socialist policies had rehabilitated the bear count because, again, there's not any nobles hunting bears at this period of time for sport. Communists I mean, are pretty good about shutting. Yeah, one thing communists are great at, making sure that doesn't happen yeah. um, for a little while. So the early years of communism are very good for Romania's bear population. Yeah. It goes from about eight, 900 prior to um, communists taking over to about 2,500 um, by kind of the the or like first 10 years or so of Nikki's uh, them, regime. So that's good. bears are fucking... Those bears are fucking, nobody's killing them. So Does a bear fuck in the woods? In Romania, they did for a while. Oh, yeah. And then Ceausescu found out that it's kind of fun to shoot things. Um, so one of the things he does when he gets into hunting, if you're a dictator and you take up a hobby, you can get really into that hobby. So he takes personal possession of all of the best hunting land in Romania. And so the game wardens who are watching these areas realize that, like, if I want to keep my job, anytime the boss comes by, I need to make sure he gets to shoot something, right? Which you may recognize is not really hunting, but we're about to talk about that. And I'm going to quote Most from the Atlantic hunting here. hunting isn't. Yeah. Um, this is less hunting than most bad hunting. This is like 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 the guys who pay a half a million dollars to shoot an elephant in the head from a truck would look at what Ceausescu's about to do and be like, well, that's a little gross. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to quote from The Atlantic here. One district competed against another for his visits, offering big bears and rack-heavy stags as easy targets for his expensive imported rifles. For a typical hunt, Ceausescu would fly in by helicopter, landing on a pad cleared within the hunting area. From there, he'd be taken by rough-terrain vehicle. In earlier years, he favored jeeps, later a Russian-made, the Gaz, and later still a rattletrap Romanian imitation, the Aro. Along forest roads to a point very near the spot where hungry bears or rutting red deer were expected to appear. He would walk the short distance to a strategically placed high seat, a tight little draw that served as a game corridor, for example, or along a stream where the gurgling water would cover noises made by a hunter. Usually, he was accompanied by at least one security officer who would carry his weapons and ammunition, and a forestry official from the district office. Many other forest department employees would have been involved in preparing for his visit, but they were kept at a distance during the actual hunt. In the high seat, Ceausescu had little patience for waiting and watching. His attention span, according to a witness who had worked with him often, was five minutes. The report Oof. of his short attention span comes from Vasil Crisan, a forest forestry official who later published a memoir in German, the title of which translates as Ceausescu, Hunter or Butcher. The gist oh, of the book Jesus. is that Chrisan's boss was indeed a butcher and not a true hunter. For instance, Ceausescu would continue firing wildly at an animal until it collapsed or ran away. If he wounded a stag, he'd command Chrisan and the other attendants to find it and bring him the trophy. If he missed altogether, they would tell him the stag was wounded and that they'd find it, and then that stag or a similar one would be killed and delivered. Sometimes more stags were found than were shot, Chrisan wrote. Once after a hunt, a party secretary called him the next day and told him that all six stags were found. The hell, Ceausescu said. How can you find six stags if I only shot four? <laughs> I mean, they're like, look, man, you're just good. Yeah. I don't and know what you it, want from us. You're just talented. You John Wicked it. Yeah, you 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 folded the bullet through one and into another. Um, 
one of the things that's funny about this, so there's a way that you can, like if you're uh, the kind of people who measure trophies and hunting trophies and stuff, there's like different categories, right? And it was known for a while, like if you go to museums in Romania of like, that like have animal stuff, like that are like museums of like natural wildlife in Romania that have stuffed animals, like most of them even to this day are from Ceausescu. And he had this, he was noted during the time when he was hunting for he had like a weird number of incredibly high quality trophies, um, particularly for bears. And there were a lot of questions about like, how are there so many bears of that size in Romania? Like there shouldn't be that many trophies that big. And it came out after his fall that what what his, um like the people who were responsible for keeping him happy were doing is they were stretching the hides in a bunch of fucked up ways in order to make it look like the bears were much bigger than they were. Oh um, yeah. 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 They were like cheating to make him feel like he'd shot a bigger bear than he had. Yeah. It's like um, those dudes that, that were like filling fish with, uh, with weights. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly caught. like that, but he's not even competing against anybody. They're just trying to make him feel like a big man. Um, he is, and he's trying to make himself feel like a big man. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it was not uncommon for him to shoot more game than just four. I will say that on one day in 1974, he shot 22 bears. Um, and over the course of his reign, he's known to have killed at least 400 of the animals. He also blew off steam in the gigantic, almost impossibly large mansion he had constructed for himself using some of those same foreign loan dollars that he'd used to make giant factories with. I know this is the name of the show, but this guy's kind of a dick. He is a little bit. We are getting well into the bastardry now. So when he had taken power, Nikki had actually refused to live in the mansion occupied by his predecessor. Because he was like, you know, I want to live in a people's house. I'm going to live in a humble house when I go out and shoot 22 bears in a day. But then he visits Mao and he comes back and he's like, actually, I think I want a palace. So he builds one for himself using the people's money um, that has 80 rooms, uh, a jacuzzi and a movie theater where he can watch Kojak. That sounds awesome. It does sound awesome. Look, it's 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 objectively sweet to have your own private Kojak theater. Um, but, yeah, like but that's not a thing that I would be like, this is a problem. I'd be like, this is this guy gets it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Although perhaps not very communist. Um, yeah. But yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you know what is communist? I mean, I'm at a loss because there's so much stuff that we've talked about that is communist. The products and services that support this podcast all proud members of the Romanian Communist Party. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. 
offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule. You'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ah, we're back. We're feeling good. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling Jeff, great. You feeling great? Yeah. Excellent. So I feel, I feel like I'm just horrible. Hunted. Thank well, you, Sophie. Cool. Have Do you, you feel considered ba- hunting 22 bears? Yeah. Um, why don't no. Sophie? Why don't you and I go out? We'll shoot twenty-two bears. We'll come back. We'll have us a good time. I'll I'll pass. You don't want to wow. shoot twenty-two bears. It's like with you me, don't Sophie? even want to run Romania. Wow. No, yeah. I'm good. Yeah. You're never gonna wind up in charge of Romania with that attitude. So twenty-two bears. It's a little bit much for my taste. You know. Okay. What a, What about an even baker's dozen? Uh yeah. no. Half Half a Ceausescu That's worth of bears for half, the day. Yeah. yeah. No. Honestly, pass. dreamers dream. Yeah, so exactly. Dare to dream. Follow your, follow your. Fucking but if you feel yeah. like doing that, I'll lie for you in court. Thank you, Sophie. You're welcome. Um, help me out in my poaching trial, everybody. And hey, if you've got any bears that you need shot, I'll helicopter in. Um, I've got about a five minute attention span, like Nikki, but that ought to be enough. Allegedly. Mm, yeah, yeah, you're fine. You're fine. Yeah, it'll be good. It'll be good. I'll just keep shooting until I hit something. Much like Ceausescu. Now, so Ceausescu builds himself this mansion, but he realizes, he, fe- he decides pretty quickly, it's it's nice having a mansion, certainly, but that's also not nearly enough for a guy with my kind of tastes. And no. so uh, there's this, in 1977, there's this devastating earthquake in the capital in Bucharest. Um, and most people would say, devastating earthquake, that's a tragedy. But Ceausescu says, devastating earthquake... Well, shit, that got rid of a lot of buildings that weren't doing anything but taking up space I could have replaced with the palace. Yeah. Some, where some <laughs> um, say tragedy, dreamers yeah. see opportunity. That That's right. And, you know, you, you might say he's a dreamer, Jeff, but he's certainly not the only one because nobody is allowed to disagree with his dreams. Um, Are you proud and, of yourself? Thank you. I, I'm always proud of myself. All right, cool. As, and, long, and the, as long as you're proud because I'm not. Continue. I'm proud of him. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Not thank you, Sophie. And thank you, Ceausescu, because the thing he's about to do next is he's about to start construction of a parliamentary palace for Romania. Now, I thought you were going to say a Death Star for some reason. I don't know why I thought that, but I it is, that. It is a little bit of a Death Star. <laughs> Undergone construction now, of a new Death Star. It, it is going to be a Death Star for the Romanian economy because the palace they are building, again, Romania, lovely country, a lot of great resources, 
not a massive country, right? 10 to 20 million people, you know, kind of over the course of his reign, it gets up to about 20 million people. So not like tiny, but not a massive country. And Ceausescu decides we need one of the largest buildings ever constructed by human hands in order to act as the center for our government. Let's not forget tourism dollars, folks. Yeah, well, that's not legal. Um, (laughs) Under Ceausescu. That's the biggest ball of yarn of Romania. Um, that's what he should have done he should have made the world's biggest ball of yarn and then lived inside of it he is not going to do that Um, Sophie would you google Ceausescu stairs so you can pull up some of these pictures for 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 Jeff while I I tell this story so today the parliamentary palace that um, Ceausescu had built is the third largest building on the planet by volume Um, it comes in right after the Aztec Pyramid of Teotihuacan and the Cape Canaveral Rocket Assembly Hangar. It uses 30, it used 3,500 tons of crystal and 1 million cubic meters of marble. The carpet of the main hall weighed on its own one and a half tons. When you have a 3,000 pound carpet, that's a big building. Now, the earthquake had not destroyed enough of the con- enough of the city to make room for this palace, so Ceausescu ordered the rest of the city center bulldozed. He flattened a like hill. You do. He, yeah, like you do. We got to get rid of the rest of this capital city so we can build a capital for our city. Um, I mean, to flat- be fair, too, that that has very very like yeah. the forbidden city energy. Yeah, and he is he he sees what happens to the the government that makes a forbidden city and he decides I want that for myself. Yeah, why not me? Yeah, why not me too? Um he changes the course of a river using dams and he forces he's going to evict 40,000 people from their homes in order to build this thing. Every building and it, not only does he bulldoze the center of town in order to make this fucking thing. So yeah, every surrounding building for four square miles is rebuilt. So not only does he demolish a bunch of buildings in the center of town in order to make this thing, but he demolishes and rebuilds every building four mi- within four miles of it so that I mean, it will match the style of the building. It's pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah, it is quite like, a building. You're like, looking at those I'm, photos now? Yeah, yeah like well, I'm, I'm seeing them, you know, Sophie did bring them up. We're looking at these things and like, the man it's made a, hell a pretty of a impressive building. building. <laughs> yeah. Well, the man forced a large number of other people to make an impressive building. It looks like sure. Scientology. Just a yeah. little bit. Scientologesque. Um, yeah, so that's pretty cool. Um, he calls it the People's Palace. Um, Ooh, like the rock. Yeah. Yeah, and in order to make the People's Palace, he has to demolish multiple hospitals as well as two dozen historic churches and synagogues. Um they do that's, save that's nothing for him. No, no, he's he'll demolish a lot more than that before synagogues. We're done. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Um. He also like while this is going on, there's this kind of like um covert plan within citizens of Bucharest where they figure out how to lift up historic churches and put them on wheels and like drive them away from where Ceausescu wants to destroy them. And so they wind up like hiding. There's all these, there's these, there's I think like three of them, these old Orthodox churches that are like in the middle of these gigantic warrens of, of massive apartment buildings because they had to hide them from him. 
He didn't want to see them, so they had to, like, stick them in courtyards and stuff where nobody could see them so that they wouldn't be destroyed by Ceausescu. It's genuinely unhinged <laughs> yeah, behavior. It's pretty, it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, that's like yakety sax playing while they're moving yeah. it. Now, I, I want to quote now from an article in CNN Travel that interviewed Irene, a parliamentary aide who works in the building today, or at least did when that article was written, well past Ceausescu's period. Quote, Construction involved 700 architects and 20,000 building workers doing three shifts a day, plus 5,000 army personnel, one and a half million factory workers, and an army of so-called volunteers. You didn't always get to volunteer. The palace's union hall features two large spiral staircases that descend to the main entrance to allow Ceausescu and his wife Elena to make grand synchronized entrances. He was short and touchy about his height, says Irene, so he had the staircases rebuilt twice to match his step. All right, I'm going to say that that's not a good investment of money. No, no, no. You got to make you got to you got to make it sound right, right? Um you got to make it look like you're a taller man, so you have to change the staircases repeatedly. I don't know, man, just spend that money on lifts if that's the mm -hmm. case. Mm -hmm. Or yeah, bigger shoes. Yeah. Uh, Irene claps her hands. The sound travels crisply. Every chamber has a perfect echo because when Ceausescu wanted something, he clapped and he wanted everyone to know he'd clapped. <laughs> oh yeah, that was very big in um uh, Mughal architecture, actually, they used to do yeah. that a lot in palaces. Yeah. They would have those reflective, the refractive, yeah, whatever the the I forget what the building process is, where you'd clap in one spot and it would travel all the way to a central location. Yeah, th there's actually this. Uh, it's really actually pretty amazing what people can do with stuff. There's this like with with the way sound travels around objects. There's this art project by the Wharf in San Francisco where it's these two big metal chairs that are like, I don't know, 30, 40 feet apart. And you can sit in one and like whisper and the person in the other chair will hear you clearly just because of like the way the sound waves travel. It's fucking wild. Um, some of the stuff that that you can do with that shit. Um, but, you know, as impressive as aspects of this building are, it is not worth the money. Um, and in fact, is kind of like a massive disaster from every practical standpoint. So today in Romania, the 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 people's palace is still 70% empty, right? They're still using this thing because like, well, it's kind you of have in, it. yeah, you have to at this point. But like they've never it's never even been close. They never needed anything nearly this big. Like a building a third of the size would have been perfectly adequate for their needs well into the future. Um but, you know, Ceausescu wanted to look fancy. Now, and fancy looking he is. He is. And another person who liked looking fancy was Alina Ceausescu. She had developed very expensive tastes over the period of their time in power for high fashion and luxury goods. And Ceausescu, it ain't cheap covering that ass. No, no, no. You need a lot of lot of nice fabric. Um, yeah. And so Ceausescu, obviously, regular Romanians are not allowed to travel unless they're involved in the security services, um, and they're certainly not allowed to go buying capitalist goods unless they're bri paying bribes and shit. But Ceausescu's family, well, they're able to travel. They're able to go shopping, you know, wherever they want. Uh, I, I, we're going to go to the U.S., we're going to go to Paris, we're going to buy all the nice luxury goods we can. Now, the problem with that is that it takes cash to do that. Um, and getting cash is going to, because again, this is a communist state, they have to get a little creative about where they find cash for these kind of foreign shopping excursions. And Ceausescu decides that the best way to kind of wring water from the stone that Romanian had become un Romania had become under him was to ransom off the, the country's Jewish population for cash. 
That's how he's going to pay for these shopping trips. Oh, God, he's going to no. ransom off Romania's Jews. That's somehow. That's so much m- somehow worse. Like mm-hmm. that's it's it is a it's pretty bad. Process. I don't think it's, somehow we need to say yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, other than like straight out extermination, yeah. like yes. It's well, and that's just I mean strange. It, it does involve um, obviously he's not killing anybody here but it it is this is intimately tied to genocide because you know world war ii ends and an awful lot of jews in romania are like well antonescu killed like half of us maybe this isn't a safe place to stay and you know it's it's it is perhaps time to go um but obviously the people who are in charge the new leadership of romania um are not going to do that, right? They don't want anyone leaving. They certainly don't want a fairly well-educated and economically productive chunk of the population to suddenly leave. And so at first under Georgiou Day, when Jewish people in Romania would try to leave uh, generally for Israel, they would ransom their Jewish population off to Israel in exchange for money and trade goods. A lot of it, they they would like trade pigs for people um, because they were trying to start all of these factories. Um, many Romanian Jews were ransomed off in exchange for bull semen, which was later used as part of a breeding program. Um, getting that and, husbandry in. Yeah, it's a, it, it's a whole thing. And when Ceausescu comes to power and he realizes what George Day had been doing, he was initially like livid, like, oh my God, that's actually kind of fucked up. Like, what the hell? Um, but then he starts to- You get over under- it. He, he gets over it when he understands how much money is at stake. And I'm going to quote from the book Children of the Night by Paul Kenyon here. Under Ceausescu's stewardship in the 1970s, the trade in Jews became even more elaborate and far more lucrative. Financing animal farms was no longer adequate. Ceausescu was prepared to throw caution to the wind and demand direct cash payments in exchange for Jewish exit visas. The ransom money was to be calculated according to a sliding scale. At the lower end were unemployed Jews and children who were considered Category D and required a ransom fee of around $2,000. More well-educated Jews were deemed Category A and could only be released from the country for a fee of six thousand dollars in exceptional cases that rose to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars the secret trade in jews provided an important source of income for ceausescu he never drew an official salary and in fact never actually earned a penny in his life having worked in exchange for food and lodging when he was an apprentice shoemaker the ransom money constituted an emergency slush fund he kept it in secret bank accounts alongside the proceeds from other covert operations carried out by his foreign intelligence services according to the former chief of his foreign intelligence services Jan. Uh, Pasipa, these accounts contained around $400 million by the mid-1970s. They were used to buy Western motor cars for Ceausescu's children and custom-built armored Mercedes limousines for the leader and his wife. Along with the new acquisitions for Alina's expanding collection of diamonds, the First Lady was notorious for purchasing jewels while on trips abroad, but on most occasions, her aides persuaded the foreign hosts to present her with expensive gifts. This is for a rainy day, Ceausescu would whisper to Pasipa as they discussed the slush fund while walking along the moonlit pathways around his villa so that's cool he's a jew salesman yes he's he's selling them to israel (laughs) that's such an Um, uncomfortable thing yeah it is pretty gross uh pretty gross now within the broad context of his at least these people are getting out of ceausescu's romania um but yeah we probably don't need to do that (laughs) so i don't know jeff you don't make your money by ransoming Holocaust survivors off to another country. How no. do you make your money? Uh, 
That is fair. Uh, that's a great question. Occasionally, I I win small fortunes on Netflix game shows, um, but when I'm not doing that, uh, I have uh, I do stand up and I I am a podcaster. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I am also a podcaster. I don't do stand up, um, but you know what I do like is hearing you and Tom watch Batman. That's right. Tom and Jeff watch Batman is a is a podcast I do with Tom Ryman uh, mm-hmm. on Gamefully Unemployed. Where we watch, we go through the all of the annals of Batman history, and we talk about it. And we are doing 1973's Super Friends, and that is insane. So yeah. you can check that out uh, at Gamefully Unemployed. Uh, you can also hear you don't even like sports and unpopular opinion both on the Unpops Network with Adam Todd Brown, and I do my own show called Jeff Has Cool Friends, which is a sort of long form interview podcast with people I know that have cool jobs. And, yeah. and, we, and we we talk about it and that's really fun and that you can get for free if you just look up jeff has cool friends wherever or you can go to patreon.com slash jeff may you get early access to uncensored episodes with bonus content as well as access to shows like ug fine with kim crawl which is a monthly show the monthly show nerd with dre alvarez which is a deep dive into nerdy histories between me who is more of like an artsy nerd and uh dre alvarez is a stats nerd so it's an interesting yeah. clash of two worlds in that regard. Uh, if you want to see me live, I uh, run a stand-up show in a toy store in Burbank called Mint on Card. It is the second Friday of every month at Blast from the Past on Magnolia in Burbank, California. Uh, so our next show uh, will be coming up real quick, uh, February 10th. And if you live in New England, I'm doing a very rare one night only show at Redemption Rock Brewery in Worcester, Massachusetts. And that is Wednesday, February 22nd. Um, uh, I'm very excited to be able to get home. I perform back home once a year. Uh, and it seems like this is going to be it. I do a lot of uh, local talent. Uh, I manage to make sure that the people that I work with are not scum, which is very hard in comedy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Boy, almost, uh, you know what? <laughs> it's almost as hard as finding a, a good dictator. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> yeah. very hard. It's I, I get to yeah. I get to I get, I get to take the moral high point mm-hmm. of saying if I find yeah. out a comedian is a rapist, I don't work with them anymore. Yeah. And the clubs very hard to get the clubs to buy into that. Yeah. Um, but I love stand up. I love doing it. I love my hometown. Uh, I love performing. Uh, I keep the tickets cheap. So if you want to check that out, uh, Redemption Rock Brewery, and you can go to my social media at Hey There Jeff Rowe for more information about that. Hell yeah. We'll check all of that out. Um, and uh, I don't know. Go, uh, go 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 to hell. Wait, you know what we should do? Huh? We should do this again in a couple of days. We should do this again in a couple of days and talk more <laughs> about Ceausescu, particularly the end of Ceausescu. Actually, there's a lot of other fucked up shit, including um, the inevitable consequence of uh, banning all contraception in your country. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, we'll get we'll talk cults yeah. of personality. We'll talk uh, getting shot uh, with your wife. Um, all the good Ceausescu shit. If you're going to get shot with up. someone, might as well be with your wife, right? Yeah, I mean, not if it's Elena. Actually, no, that sounds awful. <laughs> yeah, that sounds actually, well, maybe worse. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's actually way worse. Yeah, who who knows? We all, as everybody gets to choose who you want to get shot with. Um, that's not true. Anyway, episode's over. <laughs> Perfect finish. Excellent dismount. Behind the Bastards is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or... 
Check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.